right, we're back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call, and I'm here with my colleague uh, Altea Spinazzi, and we're going to talk about fixed income. And um, unless you have been living under a rock, you would know that this is where the action is, basically, in the financial markets. What a rally we have seen, Altea, in, in bond yields. And we'll come back to that, because we have an event on tap this week, and that's the ECB. Not that it's going to be a huge event, because everyone is expecting that it almost to be a non-event, but it's still give us an opportunity to talk about the European bond market and monetary policy. And, um, you know, the ECB is, is likely to be in, in pause mode. And, you know, what are you thinking about the ECB? Is is it really the ECB that is making its own decision or is it just at the receiver end of what's happening in the US bond, bond market? Well, uh, Peter, I believe that at this point, uh, the ECB is just uh, on waiting on C mode in the meaning that uh, they understand they cannot hike rates much further because uh, um, the economy is uh, suffering. We have a recession in Germany. We have another one in the Netherlands. Uh, and overall, growth is stagnating in Europe. Um, but on the other side, we have uh, inflation that is uh, well above uh, target. On the third quarter of the year, we have seen headline CPI at 4.9% and core CPI at 5.1%. And estimates for the end of the year is that the headline CPI is going to adjust to 3.4% and core CPI to 4.1%. So we are far away from where the ECB wants to be, which is 2%. That that, uh, doesn't really uh, cater for um, the ECB to position for interest rate cuts. But at the same time, there is very little space uh, for uh, uh, interest rate hikes. And today we had Lagarde talking uh, about uh, that in, uh, in, a, in a call. Basically, uh, she was saying that the fight on inflation is coming, is doing, is coming well, but uh, there is a stagnating economy and there, is, uh, there are also disagreements uh, on uh, fiscal rules uh, among uh, European countries. What she was saying in this call is that uh, uh, from January next year, the 3% deficit limit uh, is going to kick in again. And if an agreement is not found, uh, the ECB has to actively tackle this, this problem and has ha- actually to do more in order to uh, manage spreads in the Eurozone. Uh, that that basically implies uh, that uh, right now the ECB might not, might not uh, be able to do anything, but if... Uh, um fiscal uh, uh, risk are going to rise and the spreads especially the BTP boon spreads widen further then next year the ECB has to be more active yeah that that spread we talked about that in one of our recent podcasts on fixed income LTA, the uh, the BTP boon spread it it has continued to rise since we talked about it the last time so i mean why is it not creating a bigger stir in Europe or a bigger crisis moment? Why do you think everyone's so relaxed? Is that because we know that the ECB will come as a white knight and control well, the spread? Maybe, but uh, Peter, it didn't really rise much. We are still around uh, 200 basis points, the difference between 10-year BTP and 10-year boons. And uh, historically, we have uh, seen uh, governments and uh, the ECB ringing the alarm bell when that spread was going to 250. So there is still a little bit of buffer there. But if we really look at the ECB and why I believe that it can only pose uh, this uh, this Thursday, 
um, it's not only about the BTP boom spread, it's also because we have uh, rising yields in the US. Yesterday, we have seen the 10-year US Treasury yield hitting 5%. And when yields rise in the US, uh, they are closely correlated to Actually, European sovereigns are closely correlated to uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries. So if yields uh, rise there, they are going to rise also. Uh, in Europe, we have uh, uncertainty um, surrounding uh, the war in the Middle East. And also we have rumors of the Bank of Japan uh, that maybe might tweak further um, yield curve control next week. So it's very hard for the ECB to take any kind of decision at this point of time. Yeah, I, um, what a situation to be in for the ECB. I mean, you have, a, as you said, you have a Germany, or you have a German and a, and a Dutch economy in a recession, and you, you're sitting with a policy rate uh, north of, uh, or just above 4%. So um, not uh, not happy days in uh, in Europe, to say the least. But then um, let's move across the Atlantic and talk about US treasuries, because there we're seeing a lot of action, and... Um, before we're going to talk a little bit about the the yield curve itself, we're going to talk about some of the auctions that are on schedule scheduled to to uh, to hit the market this week. And we have the two year, five year, the six year auctions. And uh, what are, what are you looking for? There's also a couple of uh, macroeconomic data coming out um, later this week. Yes, Peter. So. I think that at this point it's important to talk about auctions because not last week, but the week earlier, uh, we had a 10-year and 30-year U.S. Treasury auctions that were very, very bad. Demand was weak, they tailed, and following those, we have seen a rise in U.S. Treasury yields. Last week, we had a fairly better uh, 20-year U.S. Treasury auction, which was quite surprising because the 20-year the tenors is normally not liked by real money. Uh, but the reason why that uh, went was uh, was welcome is that uh, the um, uh, the size of that auction wasn't increased. The uh, U.S. Treasury only sold uh, 13 billion uh, versus uh, 20 billion in uh, 30 year US treasuries and 35 billion in 10 year US treasuries one week earlier. And also, the yield that the 20 year tenor was offering was 5.25%. Um, that's uh, high, and it offers uh, like 25 basis points above uh, or even more at that point uh, above uh, uh, the 10-year tenor. So basically what the 20-year auction told us at that time last week is that if the U.S. Treasury is going to pay a high yield and uh, is controlling the size of those auctions, then they are going to be well digested uh, from markets. Uh, but t- this week, uh, we are going uh, to see two-year, five-year, seven-year U.S. Treasury auctions. And uh, the five and the seven years are the belly of the yield curve. And uh, it's a very critical part of the yield curve because whenever the yield curve steepens or flattens, these are the ones that uh, um, that are outperforming or underperforming. So if we see... Um, good bidding metrics at this five-year and seven-year U.S. Treasury auction, we might 
think we might uh, accept the fact that maybe investors start uh, to increase the duration in their portfolio. So that maybe we are then shifting from a bear stiffening to a bull stiffening. So these auctions this week are going to be crucial because um, they will provide quite important uh, uh, details before the Federal Reserve meeting next week. And if investors are extending their duration, what would that be a sign of? More confidence in the economy or is it uh, driven by you know, safe haven in the thinking that you know maybe yields will go down over over the next well, year? Well, that will mean that uh, the bond market would start to position for interest rate cuts, that they might still be far down to the line, but they believe that we arrived to a peak in yields and there is no much more uh, yield pickup that they can uh, they can basically benefit from. All right, I, I find the situation in the in the bond market uh, uh, very interesting to say the least. Also, because as I, s- I sent out an internal message, uh, LTA to uh, in in our team, showing because we had the Chicago Fed National Activity Index yesterday, and you know it just confirmed what we're seeing in these uh, GDP nowcast indices that you know the U.S. economy has strengthened pretty considerably since uh, since April, and that is with the current interest rate level. I just it just it's an interesting backdrop to say the least but um before we before we talk about the the yield curve and how you can position yourself in in fixed income you want to touch on the in some of the macro numbers for this week and uh, maybe even also talk a little bit about bank of japan because they are on tap next week and there're chatter in the market now that potentially the yield curve control could be tweaked yeah, uh, Peter. Uh, so definitely today I'm looking at the PMI data. Probably by the time that this call is over uh, and is published, uh, um, the PMI data will be already released. Uh, but then my focus is going to shift uh, on Thursday on the GDP numbers for the third quarter of the year and on Friday to the PCE deflator. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, the biggest uh, uh, moving part now is the Bank of Japan. Um, next week, uh, not only the Bank of Japan uh, will uh, have a monetary policy meeting, but uh, will need uh, to revise the, the economic forecast that it did in uh, July. And uh, what is uh, important here is that in July, um, the Bank of Japan was forecasting to finish the fiscal year 2023, so April 2024, because that's when in Japan is going to end at a 2.5%. And always in July, they decreased the expectation for inflation to go from uh, 2% to 1.9% in the fiscal year of 2024. Uh, Now, these uh, these figures look uh, very hard to get. Um, Inflation in Japan is uh, well above uh, 3%. So it might be that uh, we um, are going to see a revision upwards of uh, these uh, um, uh, estimates and that might bring along some more yield curve control softening from the Bank of Japan side. And if that is going to happen, then definitely we are going to see JGB's uh, yields uh, moving higher and uh, that is going to send some shockwaves um, in the European sovereign space and uh, US dollar sovereign space because we cannot forget um, that uh, 
if already by now, there is no interest from Japanese investors to buy into foreign bonds for the simple reason that if they buy 10-year U.S. treasuries and 10-year um, boons, once they, they hatch it against the Japanese yen, they are going to get a negative total return of minus 1%. Yeah, that's not very attractive. Um before we run out of time, Altia, we'd have to talk a little bit about, you know, um, treasury positioning because, I mean, there are different ways that you can, you know, you can expose yourself to uh, to U.S. bonds and uh, in the treasury market. And um, I like your uh, your script here. There's different ways um, whether you want to be in the front end, but it really depends on your on your risk profile and what you're really seeking. But maybe you can take us through the different parts. What I mean, what does it mean if you only want to be in the short end versus the long end or the belly? So um, take us through. Yes, Peter. So if you don't want, if you just want to park money and you don't want to lose money, then look at the front part of the yield curve. So if you take two-year U.S. Treasury yields and you hold them for one year, you need uh, um, yields to move by 200 basis points higher in order, so from 5% to 7% in order to begin to lose money in this part. So it gives you an enormous buffer and there is almost no chance uh, to lose money unless we see like the Federal Reserve hiking up to 10%. Um, the belly of the yield curve vulnerable in sentiment shift. So it's very, when there is a high volatility, is not a good idea to be positioned there for um, uh, for um real money or uh, investors that are looking just to park uh, um money safe haven so the 10 years makes sense like we said uh, in uh, previous calls uh, if you buy 10 year us treasuries and you hold it uh, for one year then uh, you will make a loss of 2% if yields rise by another 100 basis points but you will gain 12% if they drop by 100 basis points um, and ultra long uh, maturities. So I'm talking about 20 year plus the famous uh, TLT um, fund. I'm still uh, I'm still cautious. I'm still cautious because I want to see inflation dropping below three percent or a deep recession for uh, forming before entering ultra long maturities. I need uh, um, to have the conviction that this cycle is properly closed. But there is something midway. Instead of going ultra-long uh, uh, maturities, uh, one can look at uh, maturity, that, uh, maturity that, that are 10 to 15 years, um, are providing uh, a good coupon, maybe above uh, 6% investment grade. And these kind of assurances uh, still give you exposure to duration. So if uh, uh, yields are going to drop 100, 200 basis points, you would still get capital ap appreciation out of it. But if they don't, and we see yields uh, continuing to rise, uh, you will still be able to collect a nice coupon, 6 7% per year. So you are not going to have money not doing anything there and just waiting for this position to recover. And there are several uh, names uh, um, that uh, offer that kind of trade-off. Uh, there is, uh, there are bonds in uh, NL 2037 paying a 6.8% coupon. There is uh, Mexico uh, paying almost a 7% coupon with maturity 2034. Walt Disney 
uh, 6.65% maturity 2037. So there is still good quality names um, that uh, can provide an enticing return um, with limiting uh, the risk of holding on an ultra long maturity. I like <clears throat> I like those examples. Um, just on a final final closing remark, maybe uh, if you really let's say you're an investor out there and you're you're thinking, okay, Europe is just going uh, going down the toilet here, or we will see a, a very deep recession. I mean, what about uh, then the hundred year bond from Austria? Because that trades at extremely low price right now. I, I think that's the well one of the most ultimate or the most extreme duration bets you can you can make, I guess. I must say, Peter, it uh, it's calling my name every day, <laughs> but I still didn't, I still didn't buy it. Um, the what I think is that uh, it's a nice option to have, uh, but uh, investors have to be conscious uh, that uh, a war in the Middle East means that uh, inflation might resurface at a certain point, and even though there is a deep recession in Europe. Uh, if the Federal Reserve continues to high rates because there is this uh, risk coming from inflation, the ECB needs to follow because otherwise uh, the euro currency will depreciate. Um, so realistically, there is still that tail event. If it materializes, it's going to be a problem. People buying into these kind of uh, bonds will be bag holders. They cannot do anything with it. Uh, but... Uh, if we have the opposites, so if we have a deep recession, inflation is going down because of that, and in, and interest rates uh, are going to be cut aggressively, then that's going to be a winning option. But I think that uh, I'm waiting on that one. I need uh, some more confirmations before um, extending that much <laughs> maturity. All right, that uh, that makes sense. So. Um I think that uh, that's uh, that's a wrap on today's uh, podcast. So um, yeah, watch out for that ECB rate decision, which is going to be uh, you know a pause. But uh, look for the details there, as uh, mentioned by Eltea, and then of course all the different auctions coming in the U.S. Treasury market this week: the two, five, and six years, and the economic data we talked about. And then also you know you know think about how to position yourself in the bond market, as just explained by Eltea. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.